The first reading today is Psalm 121. I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going, both now and forever. The second reading is 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. For we say this to you by a revelation from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. A verse that uh, has brought me comfort this week is Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. It should be on the screen. Uh, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, uh, for they shall be comforted. And we need that, don't we? We need comfort in our mourning. We need comfort in our grief. We need comfort in our loss. We need to know how to grieve well. We know that death is a reality. We all know that one day we'll all die. But there is something profoundly painful about the death of a child or the death of a baby. And I think that's because the order is all wrong, isn't it? Now, children expect one day to bury their parents, but parents don't expect to bury their children. And so when that order is reversed, uh, the pain and the grief is somehow more intense. Listen to these words of Joseph Bailey. He has tragically buried three of his own children. He said, when the child dies, part of the parent is buried with them. I said again, when the child dies, part of the parent is buried with them. And talking to Josh and Tara this week, that's how they feel. They feel that part of them has, has been buried. Because the pain is unbearable, the grief is overwhelming, and the best word they've described is just utterly broken. So as I speak on grief this morning, I want to help you to grieve well. I want to help us as a church to grieve well together. Uh, The scriptures encourage us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And can I say, church, that today is a time for weeping together? Today is a time when we actually mourn together. That's the season that we're in. 
I'm no expert on grief. And to be totally honest, I'm speaking this morning as a man who is utterly broken and in pain. I want to speak on grief, though, the importance of grief. Firstly, grief is a right emotion and grief is a good emotion. Grief is the right response whenever you lose someone who is precious to you. I do hope that whenever you face death, you've grieved well. Because if you don't grieve well, there'll be ongoing uh, impact of that on your life. Someone described grieving as like no other pain. The best example I can come up with is, is grieving is like an amputation, not a, not a bullet wound. You know, if you get shot and you have a bullet wound, then the, the wound actually heals over time. But with an amputation, although the wound does heal, you're still left without the arm. That's like grief. You've got this double pain of the severing, but then the pain of the goneness. Uh, Psychologists will talk about the different stages of grief, and it's important that you and I know what those stages are. So you often start with shock, where you're in total numbness, and you feel just paralyzed, and you just can't function at all. Uh, you then slip into denial or disbelief. You know, that can't, this can't be happening. I'm kind of like, I'm in a, I'm in a dream. I'm going to wake up and this nightmare, this nightmare will be over. That often gives way to anger. Anger at the circumstances. Anger at the situation. Anger at other people. Anger at yourself. Anger at God. God, why? You could have stopped this. Why? And then you've got guilt. Uh, this stage of guilt where you're, you're consumed by feelings of, I could have done this, and I should have done this, and I wish I'd done this, if only I had done this. Often people who are grieving talk about jealousy. They're jealous of what other people have still got. And then often despair or depression, that feeling of being in this dark valley, people who have gone through grief talk about how the world just keeps on going, but you walk through the world and you want people to say, look at me because I'm in this darkness and you're just carrying as though nothing has happened. And the problem of grief is that there's no sort of fixed order to things and everyone grieves differently. So you can't say by this point you should be at this stage and at this point you should be at this stage. Different people will grieve totally differently. But let's not be naive. Grief is a long-term thing. Uh, People talk about with the death of a child in particular that you're grieving for years and years and years, two years, three years, five years, ten years. And those feelings of sadness or fear or anxiety or doubt or loneliness or helplessness can just hit you at any time. Listen to Isabel Fleece. She wrote a book called Not By Accident. She writes this. I wasn't prepared for the trauma of grief. I didn't realize a human being could be inflicted with so much pain and still live. I learned that the grace of God is sufficient, as he said. But I also learned that grace is not an anesthetic. I said again, grace is not an anesthetic. 
The hours and days and even months that followed my son's death were so intense with pain that looking back, I wonder that I did not die. The hurt was so great, the suffering so extreme. I'm amazed that the human frame, frail as it is, can survive such a blast. I believe that was only possible because of the grace of God. So I want to say first that grief is right, it's real, it's profound. So when you hear in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we just had it read to us, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, concerning those who are asleep, that is, those who have died in Christ. So you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. The Bible doesn't say, so you will not grieve. It says you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Grief is right. Grief is important. It's just that as Christians, we can and we should grieve differently because we grieve with hope, don't we? As you read through the scriptures, there's lots of passages about people who are rightly grieving, but grieving with hope. Read about where Abraham grieving the loss of his wife Sarah. Read about the Israelites grieving over the death of Moses. Or go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, where King David is grieving over the death of his own son. But as you read 2 Samuel chapter 12 with King David grieving, you're supposed to read that in the negative. He actually grieves quite badly. The biggest mistake that King David made in his grief was that he tried to bury his grief and to conceal his grief and then grieve all alone. That's a big mistake. That's a mistake that I made when I grieved the death of my dad 25 years ago. I tried to be the strong one who held the family together and a year later it all came crashing down because I'd never actually grieved myself. So I do want to encourage us as a church to grieve and to grieve well. Let's find comfort in our grieving. That's my second point, comfort in grief. I love this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's on the screen. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. I read that again. The God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. Isn't that beautiful? That God is the source of all comfort. And as he comforts us in our grief, and as he comforts us in our suffering, and as he comforts us in our affliction, we too can then comfort other people with the comfort that we have received. The word for comfort, it literally means to, to, walk, alo- to walk alongside someone to strengthen them. Hold on to that definition in the, the coming days. To walk alongside someone to strengthen them. And that's what we need to do with Josh and Tara and with each other, to walk alongside them in this valley of death, to comfort them, to strengthen them. How do you do that? I love this quote from Angela Miller. She said this, My child died. I don't need advice. All I need is for you to gently close your mouth, open wide your heart, And walk with me until I can see in color again. Read that again. My child died. I don't need advice. I don't need advice. All I need is for you to gently close your mouth, open wide your heart, and to walk with me until I can see in color again. 
So firstly, be, be quick to listen, be slow to speak. I love that verse from James chapter 1. Be quick to listen and be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. You, you can't listen well if, if you're just doing all the talking, can you? I think we love to talk and to fill a silence by words, but actually sitting in silence is a good thing to do. It's the best thing that Job's, did, Job's friends did for him when he was grieving. Job 2 verse 13, Then they sat on the ground with him seven days and night, and no one spoke a word to him, because they saw that his suffering was very, very intense. The silence bit was the right bit. When they opened the mouth, that was the wrong bit. And I think the problem for us is that we, we find silence awkward, don't we? We're not good with silence. Uh, on Thursday morning, I sat in silence with Josh and Tyre for almost two hours and no one said a word. That's the right thing to do. Just to sit. And when words fail you, what else can you do? You can hug. A hug is a great way to communicate. But when it's time to speak, what do you say? Let me tell you what not to say. It's often more helpful. What not to say to people, to people who are grieving. Please don't say to them, time heals all wounds. That's just not true, is it? This is a word from somebody who also lost a child. Time softens some of the sharpness of my grief. Time softens some of the sharpness of my grief, but the pain is still with me. See, grief is a bit like a, a wound where, you know when a wound scabs over? In that time of scabbing in the early days, you can just knock that scab and it starts to bleed again because the, the wound is very, is very um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's raw. Uh, but as the scab starts to do the healing work, the wound on the surface might look as though, as though it's healed, but underneath there's, there's, there's scar tissue, isn't there? And the scar tissue is never the same as what it was before. So time doesn't heal all wounds. Life will never be the same again. It's just different. So please don't say that. I hope you'd never say this, uh, let go, it's time to move on. What's there to let go of? They're just let go or being forced to let go of somebody who's, someone who's totally precious to them. Please don't say, have more faith. Totally insensitive. <laughs> Grief is not a lack of faith. Grief is not a lack of faith. Having faith, no matter how strong your faith is, does not make it hurt any less. And please don't say this. Someone's already said this to this couple. Everything happens for a reason. No. Sometimes the most horrible, cruel, awful, unimaginable things happen to the best, most amazing, godly people. And sometimes life does not make any sense. And of course we know theologically that there's a reason for everything and God has a purpose for everything. But you know what? In this world we may never see that purpose. And someone said, in my grief, please never start any sentence with the phrase, at least. <laughs> it's never helpful. 
At least he's out of pain. At least he's in the arms of Jesus. It might be true, but it's not helpful. So what should we say? Say very little. A simple thing like, I'm so, so sorry. I wish I could take your pain away from you. I'm so sorry. It breaks my heart to see you suffering like this. Is there any way I can help carry your burdens today? Those simple phrases, that's all you need to say. I'll walk with you through this valley and I'll be alongside with you for the long haul. I'm a quote from a book called An Early Journey Home. This is a grieving person speaking. She says this. Above all, listen to me. Please listen to me. I have a roller coaster relationship with God right now. One minute I feel safe in God's loving arms and the next minute I'm flooded with doubts and questions, feeling totally abandoned by him. God can handle that. And I hope you can too. So be my safe place to talk, cry and feel totally accepted. I need my lifeline of friends right now. I know that I scare you. You're wondering if this can happen to me, it can happen to you. You may even try and find some reason for our loss to ease your own mind. But please don't make packaged, insensitive statements like time heals all wounds. I know how you feel. Everything will be all right. God will not give you more than you can bear. Or at least you have three other children who all work things together. All things work together for good. And please don't tell me someone else's story that's sadder than my story. Or send me books on grief. Please don't say or do anything to minimize my grief or try and fix me. This only says that you have no idea how deeply I am hurting. So be quick to listen and slow to speak. Cling on to the promises of God. Psalm 119 verse 50 says this, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. We've got to know that. We've got to know when we run to the scriptures, we run to the word of God and we hear wonderful truths which are foundational for our lives. The unchanging promises of God that never change. Run to that. Find your comfort in the word of God. But, listen very carefully, please don't theologize with those who are in the deepest moment of grief. At this moment in time, please don't start talking about the theology of suffering or the theology of the new creation. Now is not the time for that. And please don't expect Josh and Tara to find the Bible verses necessarily comforting right now. They might do, they might not, depending on how their emotions are. But we ourselves need to know the word of God. We ourselves need to cling on to the promises of God. We need to find comfort in our grief so we can comfort other people. Psalm 31 verse 9, Be gracious to me, Lord, because I am in distress. My eyes are worn out from angry sorrow. My whole being as well, my life is consumed with grief. But I trust in you, Lord. And I say, you are my God. So what is it about God that when we are consumed with grief, we can still say, I trust you and you are my God? What is it about God's character that you and I need to cling on to in grief? Number one is presence. When Jesus said, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. I'll, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. 
As Psalm 23 verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Don't you sometimes wish that God wouldn't make you walk through the valley of death? He could just pluck you out and put you on the other side. But he makes you walk through the valley of death. But as you walk through it, he is with you. A verse that I've been meditating on this week is Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. We've got to believe that. that the Lord is near us. He is with us. He holds on to us. As Isaiah 43 says, I, I will be with you when you pass through the waters. I'll be with you when you pass through the rivers. They will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire. For I am Yahweh your God. I am your Holy One and I am your Savior. I'm going to quote from a, a lady called Nancy Guthrie. If you know her story, she's a Christian lady who uh, she lost two of her three children and she's written a book Uh, it's called Hope she writes this your feelings may tell you that God is very far away from you right now but the reality is that he is drawn to you if you've invited God into your life he is especially near to you now right now because you need him so desperately right now. You may feel that no one wants to be around you. Deep down, we know it's not a lot of fun to be with someone who is sad. But you know what? God loves the brokenhearted people. God doesn't avoid them. God is closer to you now than ever before, walking with you, waiting to talk with you, waiting to comfort you, and to offer you hope and healing as you face the future because the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Friends, whatever trial you go through in life, it might not be grief, whatever trial or tragedy or suffering you go through, you've got to cling on to that truth that God is with you, his presence, his closeness, his nearness. You've got to cling on to his strength. Like there's something about the weakness and the frailty of being human, isn't there? We feel totally weak and totally helpless and inadequate. But he is strong. Psalm 18 verse 2, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my mountain where I seek my refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, and my stronghold. Psalm 62 verse 7, My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock, my refuge is in God. So trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him because God is our refuge. To run to God and to hide in the cleft of his rock and to find your strength in him, knowing that he holds on to you by his mighty hand. You know, when in the midst of grief that your grip on God is so weak, you just can't hold on, can you? He's not just near you and with you, but he's holding on to you by his mighty hand. This is a hard one, but you've got to keep on believing in this, his goodness. God is good all the time. Psalm 119, verse 68, you are good and you do what is good. It's really hard to say that today, isn't it? That God is good, but he is. 
whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. As for me, God's presence is my good. Surely God is good to Israel. So God's goodness and his sovereignty are two things that I've been really grappling with. I described them as the two pillars of my life. God is good and God is in control. But in times like this, you say, really, God? What is the good in this? You could have stopped this, God. Psalm 115, verse 3, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Job 42, verse 2, I know that you, God, can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. We can't say this wasn't part of God's plan. We can't say that God has lost control. We cannot say that God stepped off his throne and Satan's on the throne right now. That is not true. God is still on his throne. God is still in control. God is still good. We just don't get why. You've got to trust in God's love and God's compassion. 1 John 4 says that God is love. Psalm 86, but you, O Lord, are compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. So God's presence, God's strength, God's goodness, God's sovereignty, God's love. And you've got to run to the arms of Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, Matthew 11. Why do we run to Jesus? Because Jesus is a suffering son, isn't he? I mean, Jesus himself encountered death. Remember when his friend Lazarus died? What did Jesus do? He, he wept. And then Jesus faced his own death, and God the Father watched his own son die. And I'll quote again from John Stott. I read this quote a few weeks ago, but it seems apt to read it again this morning. John Stott says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to pain? I've entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha, his legs crossed, his arms folded, his eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of this world. But each time after a while, I've had to turn away, and I've turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through his hands, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding, mouth dry, intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. And that is God for me. God laid aside his immunity to pain. God entered our world of flesh and blood and tears and death and God suffered for us. And our sufferings become more manageable in light of his sufferings. You've got to run to the cross and go, yep, God knows. God's been there. It's what Martin Luther said to his wife. So Martin Luther's son died. And his wife Katie shouted at Martin Luther and said, where was God when our son died? Where was God then? And Martin Luther said this. He said, the same place that God was when his own son died. 
God was watching us and weeping with us. And there is comfort in that, to run to the God who knows what it's like to suffer. And we've got to cling on to God's eternal promises. We've got to know that we're going to have resurrection bodies in 1 Corinthians 15, bodies which are imperishable and perfect bodies, not imperfect. When you've lost someone you love, the resurrection takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? Because we don't grieve without hope. And you read Revelation 21, it talks about the new heavens and a new earth with no pain and no suffering and no crying. Or read Isaiah 65, I think it is. It talks about the new creation where there won't be an infant who lives just a few days. Now those are truths for us. God's presence... God's goodness, God's strength, God's love, God's sovereignty, God's compassion, God's suffering and God's promises. We've got to cling on to that ourselves today. You might not be grieving here this morning, but one day you will grieve. So run to those promises, cling on to those promises. But a word of warning, as we comfort Josh and Tara, please be very careful very careful how you point to these promises. Sometimes they just can't hear them right now. But part of our response as a church is to keep on just gently as they walk through the valleys, we walk with them, just, just patiently and gently keep on pointing them upwards. So let's look forward, shall we? Today's a heavy day, tomorrow will be a heavy day too. That's the thing about grief, it's a long, 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 long road ahead. Please don't rush people out of grief too quickly. It's like taking someone out of a hospital bed when they should still be on a life support machine. Let's walk in the valley with them. And life will never be the same again. They'll find a new normal. But not the same. My wife Rachel talks about her grief after her first husband died. And she talks about day after day, it was just waking up each day, asking God to help her to get through that day. And she talks about how one day, just a few months after Ben died, she woke up one day and it's like the, the clouds had lifted a bit. And she's just felt a bit different. We don't know when that day is going to be. But one day that will happen. And we need to walk alongside them. I'll read this quote. It's been 21 years since our son Aaron died. He was just eight years old when a brain tumor took him from us. In the months that followed his death, numerous people told me how his life and death had brought them closer to Christ. I recall a man who worked on the air conditioning system of our church. He approached me about six months after Aaron's death and said to me, I used to have no interest in religion or the church. But when your son died, I suddenly realized that death can strike people of all ages. I myself have three small children, and I tried to imagine how I would cope if one of my children died. And then I knew that I, I, could, not, I could not cope unless I got closer to Christ. And so I invited Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. And my entire family has done the same thing. 
Back in 1983, my wife and I doubted that life could ever become good again. But do you know what? It is good. That doesn't mean that we don't still miss Aaron. We think of him every day, and sometimes we have these really dark days when we miss him acutely. But life is good again, just a different good, one we'd never have chosen. But life is and can be good again. So I don't know why we've been praying and praying and praying for the past weeks for this little baby. We don't know why, do we? I do pray that our faith will be strong throughout and strengthened by it. I do pray that people will come to Christ through it. I'll leave you these words from Nancy Guthrie again. Trusting God when the miracle does not come, when the urgent prayer gets no answer, and when there's only darkness. This is the kind of faith that God values perhaps most of all. This is the kind of faith that can be developed and displayed only in the midst of difficult circumstances. This is the kind of faith that cannot be shaken because it's the result of having been shaken. So yeah, our faith is shaken. But my prayer would have a strong faith that can never be shaken. I'm going to be down here at the front this morning. And Megan Best will be down here as well. If you want to pray with us, we'll just pray with each other this morning in your chairs. We're going to say a prayer together. We're going to then sing together. And let's encourage each other in our grief. Let's say this prayer together. Almighty God, Father of all mercies and giver of all comfort, deal graciously, we pray, with Josh, Tara, and all those who mourn, that casting all their care upon you, they may know the consolation of your love. Help each of us, Lord, to receive and understand your gospel, so that we may find light in our darkness, strength in our grief, and hope and comfort in your saving words. We ask this through Jesus Christ.